Welcome to the Revo Podcast. Revo Church is one church in multiple locations with a vision to spark a revolution of life change through Jesus. We hope to accomplish this through our core values of love big, serve hard, live bold, grow deep, and move forward. For more information on our service times and locations, please visit our website at discoverrevo.com. All right, what's up, friends and fam? Let there be light. All right. For those of you that join us online, thanks for crashing a party with us. It's a great Sunday to have you join us. And even though you're not in the room with us, uh, you're still family to us. So we love you. We appreciate you. I want to start out uh, with a little Bible trivia, okay? But I'm going to tell you right now, I don't want you to say it out loud because it's a trick question, okay? So don't embarrass yourself. Don't do anything crazy. Here's the question. Just think about the answer, not out loud. Who wrote the majority of the New Testament? Just think about that. Think about that. Here's the answer, Luke. Now, I didn't know if you knew that or not. I didn't know that, and I'm the pastor here, like, until a week ago, and I was prepping for this message. I've always thought Paul wrote the majority of the New Testament. But here's the breakdown. Uh, Paul wrote the majority of the books in the New Testament. But when you think about the books that Paul wrote, a lot of those books are really, really short. Uh, The person that wrote the most amount of verses and words and chapters in the Bible, in the New Testament, was actually a guy by the name of Luke. He wrote the Gospel of Luke and also the book of Acts. And so that that makes up roughly about one-third of the entire New Testament was written by this particular guy. Uh, Paul wrote about 25% of the New Testament. So he just eat him out a little bit. And so the, the book of Luke, the man of Luke, has always intrigued me. I mean, if you're going to write most of this section of the Bible, like there's probably some things we need to know about you. Uh, like that, this is, a, this is a VIP, this is an important guy right here. And, and Luke's got a really cool story and, and we're actually gonna go through it. Uh, starting this Sunday, we're launching a series uh, teaching through the book of Luke. And it's gonna take us like from, from the beginning of Luke all the way to the end, the birth of Jesus from the cradle to the grave. Uh, we're going 24 straight weeks in the book of Luke and going to end sometime around Easter celebrating the end of the book. So here's my challenge for you. Ready? Um, There's 24 chapters in the book of Luke. There are 24 weeks that we're doing this Luke series. Quick math there. Here's what we're going to do. This is positive peer pressure. Everybody's doing it. Don't be too cool for school. Our entire church, all three campuses, here's what I'm going to challenge you to do. I want you to read one chapter of Luke every week. So 24 weeks in the series, 24 chapters of Luke. At the end of the series, you will have read the whole book of Luke. There's some people in here, and this is totally fine. There's some people in here that have never read through an entire book of the Bible. So we're going to do that as a church family together. And uh, let me sweeten the deal, because I've also got you something else uh, on your way out today. Some of you might have seen them on your way in. But we have these uh, handy-dandy notebooks Um, with the Luke logo on them. And uh, here's what I want you to do. I want you to grab one of these on your way out, totally free. I want you to have one and and bring it back with you every week. Uh, Take notes from the sermon. Uh, God doesn't love you more if you take notes, but I do. And so uh, take notes uh, from the sermon. Um, As we do 21 days of prayer in January, you can write down things 
prayers, things that God is teaching you as you write down, uh, as you go through the book of Luke. And so at the end of the series, you'll have a whole notebook that's like a Bible study on, on, the, on the book of Luke. So we want, we want you to have that and uh, challenge you to, to read with it, journey with it through us. You can always have the app and uh, open up that and, and join us on the weekends. But I, I like Luke because Luke is very different. Uh, Luke is a, is a different dude. Um, out of the gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, and John, they were all Jews. These were God's people. They grew up in church. They always went to Sunday school. Their mom had a flannel graph and did all of the Bible stories on it. That's how they did it. Now, Luke, he was an outsider. Luke is the only gospel writer that was a Gentile. So Luke didn't grow up going to church. Luke didn't grow up hearing stories that one day there would be this Messiah born of a virgin from the line of David in the city of Bethlehem that would be the savior of the world. All of that was totally foreign to Luke. Uh, I I like Luke because he's a Gentile because guess what? We're Gentiles. Like that's all of us uh, in here today. So like this is our guy right here. This is a guy that was a skeptic. Uh, Luke was not raised in it, not taught it from a very young age. In fact, he approached Jesus and God and this whole Bible thing through the lens of skepticism. He had some, some doubts in his mind. And you'll see the kind of the verbiage that he uses throughout the, the book and, and how he unpacks from his perspective who this Jesus guy really is. In, in fact, in verse one, you can already tell he's an outsider uh, by how he writes the intro to the book. Here, here's how he introduces it. He said, many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us. A lot of people out there wanting to write down stories about Jesus and who he is and what he's done, just as they were handed down to, to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. Here's what Luke says, with, with this in mind, Since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too have decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things that you have been taught. That intro is dripping with skepticism. He he uses words like, hey, listen, I have investigated this from the very beginning all the way to the very end. I have run down every eyewitness. Like if it's a story in the gospels, if Matthew, Mark, and John wrote about it, I went and found them and I sat down and I interviewed them. And what's interesting is historians tell us that Luke, he's kind of a jerk about it when you think about it, Luke didn't just find the people that had the stories in the Bible. Historians then tell us that Luke, once you told your story, Luke would then ask them, all right, now, I need, I need for you to fill out this application to give me five references to prove to me that you were actually there. Like, do you have any, I, I hear you when you say that you were blind and Jesus healed you, but can you show me any proof of that? Can you get in touch with me with any of your friends that knew you when you were blind? Because I need to talk to them. I love you, man, but I don't believe it just because you said it. I need to find some people that were there. Like, you got any buddies of yours that you grew up with in an elementary school? They remember you as the blind guy? Like, I need to figure out if I can trust you. And so Luke didn't just hear it and say, oh, well, you told a story about Jesus. That's who you think Jesus is? Great. Let's believe it 100%. He's like, no, I I need eyewitnesses. I'm going to do interviews. And then I need to check all of your references because if all of that doesn't check out, I'm not going to write it in my book because I want to know who this Jesus guy really is. I want to do the research. I'm not going to believe it just because someone else said it or, or someone else wrote it. 
Because there are some things in, in the Bible that describe what Jesus did, and these things are amazing. Some people would say, a little too amazing. I mean, did all of this really happen? Is this embellished in any kind of way? I mean, come on, one little kid's lunch fed 5,000 men? Like, how big was the kid's lunch? Did all the men eat before they came to this and so they weren't hungry anymore? Like, come on, like, give me the deed. I don't want to believe it just because someone else said it. I want to do the research. And he does this research so that outsiders like Luke can know who Jesus really is. If you didn't grow up in it and you weren't raised by it and you don't just believe everything you hear by faith, good, welcome to the party. That's the book of Luke. He's a skeptic. He's a doubter. And I want to show you that in the greatest story that was ever told, there's even room for doubters. There's room for skeptics in the story that, that God tells through, through his word. Now, Luke was a doctor. He was a physician. I know we got some doctors and nurses in both of the hospital systems that call Revo home. And here's what I know about you guys. Your brain is black and white, right? There is a scientific explanation for everything that happens, that's how Luke's brain worked. And you can see in the language as we unpack the book how he's gonna, he's gonna think through this, like there has to be an explanation for what happened. It's not happenstance. It didn't just happen randomly. So Luke investigates every eyewitness, interviews every person just to make sure that it was legit. And verse three tells us, um, Luke writes this book to someone in particular, or one word in particular. He says, I write to you, dear Theophilus, now, there's, there's two explanations for who Theophilus is. Number one, uh, some scholars believe that he was a rich dude uh, that funded Luke's project. He paid for Luke to travel and to do all the research and for him to step away from his medical job, for him to do all of these interviews. I mean, think about it. The, the expense would have been great of his time, talent, and treasure for him to do this. And so scripture might point to the fact that there was a, a person that was paying Luke's way and he's writing back to Theophilus telling him, hey, I, here's the update on what I found. Thanks for funding the project. And some scholars believe that that word is actually two words put together. Theophilus, the name, is a combination of two words, theos, which means God, and philos, which means love. So some people believe that Luke is writing to the lovers of God so that you can know who Jesus is too. Because Luke was a Gentile, an outsider. And just because you knew who God was, it didn't mean you knew his son Jesus and so Luke, the skeptic, writes this book to other doubters, other people that have ever had a question. I love the book of Luke for that reason. Because can I be honest with you? I got some questions. There are some things that I read that I want to have the faith to believe it just immediately. I want to read what the Bible says. About, yep, 100%. I'm down with it. I know that's going to happen. I know that's true in my life. But I got some doubts. I got to work through some things. I'm, I'm looking for, for some insight from God as he speaks to us through his word. And so if that's you, if, if you've ever had any doubts, if you've ever been a skeptic, if you ever have any questions when you read the Bible, great news, Luke wrote a book just for you and, and just for me. It won't surprise you then as Luke introduces us to the, the two first people in his book. He says, I want to introduce you skeptics, you outsiders, you doubters, you people that might have some questions about your faith. I want to introduce you to two other skeptics. 
and show you how God used both of them. In verse five, it says, in the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a, a priest named Zechariah. He belonged to the, the priestly division of Abijah. His, his wife, Elizabeth, was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all of the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. Luke says, let me introduce you to a, just a good couple. Man, you want, you want to talk about just some good people, some people that are just kind and loving and nice and selfless. There's a man named Zechariah and his wife, and they both work in the church. Like day in and day out, from, from sun up to sundown, they're loving people, they're serving people, they're working in the church, they're, they're doing everything that they can to worship God and point people towards God. Like these are just the types of people that you have them in your life and in mind that you just look at and you just, you want good things for them. You hope good things happen to them. You celebrate when, when good things happen to them because you're just like, man, these are just good people. They're just all around. What a great couple. And that, that was them. But verse, verse seven, we realized something about this, this great godly couple. They were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive and they were both very old. It almost seems like those three verses shouldn't be together. Two people that love the Lord with all their heart. They love God. They serve God. They're, they're giving of themselves. They put everyone in front of themselves. But yet their entire lives, they've had a dream that one day they could be parents, that one day Elizabeth could get pregnant, that one day they would be mom and dad. And the Bible tells us at this point in their life, they are very old. And despite having asked God of that their whole lives, for some reason, the answer was no. God didn't allow it to happen. Zechariah, man, always doing the right thing, always blessing others and like, God, is, can't you just give me the one thing that my heart desires the most? Elizabeth, the, the same way. Well, Zechariah was at work one day in the temple doing what God called him to do, just being faithful with the little things. And in verse 11, his life would officially change. Minding his own business, doing what God called him to do, just clocking in to the temple to work. Verse 11 says this, then an angel of the Lord appeared to him standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, don't be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son and you were to call him John. Sometimes, uh, like I'm here by myself, and uh, so I'll come in in the mornings and, and set the alarm, turn the alarm off. And when I have to walk through the building and it's dark, I'm not gonna lie, I'm, it's not, I'm not the bravest person that you've met. Um, and if, I, if, if it was totally dark in here, and I walk in these two doors, and there's someone, something, an angel, standing in front of me and saying something, I would say some things, right? <laughs> And these are words that normal pastors don't say. And I, like, it says he was startled and he was afraid at what he saw. But this angel gives him some, some good news. And I love this line. He says, the Lord has heard your prayers. Now, what a great promise from scripture. I don't know if you've ever been there before. Like, God, do you even hear me? Are you even paying attention? Do you even know the situation that I am right now? I'm pouring my heart out to you, God. Do you hear? Are you even listening? Do you care? And 
with an incredible promise, this angel looks at Zechariah and says, the Lord has, has heard your prayer. The one thing that you wanted the most in all of the earth, God has heard you and he's going to, to bless you with it. You're gonna be a dad. You're gonna be parents. And not just any parents, this is where it gets wild and crazy. Uh, you're gonna be the parents of a guy named John. And this isn't just any John, this is John the Baptist, right? So if you thought it was cool to have like a really smart kid and have that sticker on your van that says, my kid's an honor roll student, well, <laughs> Zechariah was gonna be like, my kid's John the Baptist, <laughs> right? And so he's gonna baptize your honor roll student one day. <laughs> it's a big deal, man. And he answered the prayer and would have been great news for them, right? Would have been great. I mean, his, his lifelong prayer was just answer. Well, well, here's how Zechariah responded. Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? How do I know you're telling the truth? How can I trust you? Isn't that amazing? Doubt. I'm not sure I can believe you. Questions. And then he says one of the most diplomatic things that I think a husband has ever said in the Bible, I am an old man and my wife is, well, along in years. <laughs> I like that, man. This dude knows what he's doing, right? He's like, look, I'm a, there's a reason why I'm skeptical, why I got doubts about this angel. Your boy is old, okay? I'm old. And my wife, well, she is seasoned, okay? She's chronologically advanced. She is, she's got a lot of experience, okay? Right? So <laughs> I'm so glad he didn't say the wrong thing because can you imagine Elizabeth reading the book of Luke later? And like, he says, I'm old and my wife is for sure old. Like, I mean, she's real old. And Elizabeth reads that and she's like, thanks a lot, <laughs> right? So he did the right thing, very politically correct, uh, said his wife is seasoned. And so I just don't know, I don't understand how this is, is gonna happen. But here's the sentiment, doubt. And one of the first people that, the skeptic Luke writes about is a fellow skeptic that when God unveiled the plan that he had from his life, he scratched his head and he's like, I don't know if I believe that. I don't know if I'm down with that. I'm a little bit of a doubter. I'm a skeptic here. I'm not sure if I can believe the words that you're, that you're saying. Well, here's how the angel responded to that. The angel said to him, man, I am Gabriel. <laughs> I stand in the presence of God. Like I just left God. I was standing next to him just a second ago. I came down here to tell you this. And I have been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. And now, now you will be silent and not be able to speak until the day that this happens because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. I love this, man, because uh, undoubtedly uh, Zechariah didn't have the right response. He had a little attitude in his voice. And the angel decides to put him in time out. Now, I don't know if your mom was like my mom, but there were certain things that I said or certain tones of voice that I could use that my mom would look at me and it says, Nathan, it sounds like you need a little attitude adjustment. And so he says, you need to go spend some time alone in your room and you need to think about what you just said. That's what the angel did to Zechariah. It sounds like you need a little attitude adjustment. It sounds like you're doubting what God can do in your life. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to go spend some time and just think about it. Because the reality is what I just said is going to happen because it's God's plan. And God's plan doesn't hinge on whether or not you have enough faith or believe that it will. 
doubters. These are the people that God said, I'm going to write the greatest story ever told. And he's going to use a guy like Zechariah that says, "Eh, I don't know. Honestly, I, I don't know if I believe you or not. First thing I want you to write down is this. This is good news. This is good news for me. This is good news for you. Doubt is not a disqualifier for God. If you have ever had questions, if you've ever been skeptical, if you've ever had doubts about what God can do in your life and if God could ever use you or even if the things that he said were true for you, the great thing is God does not write people like that off. In fact, God writes people like that in. Writes them into the story. Brings them into his plan. Because doubts, your lack of faith, your questions, your skepticism about the Bible does not disqualify you from being a part of the story that God wants to tell. Let me introduce you to the second person, the next doubter, the skeptic in the story. In verse 26, it says, in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town of Galilee. Same angel, same announcement. We're getting ready to get another birth announcement. It's like, Gabriel's like the stork. And uh, to, a, to a virgin, you're gonna go to a virgin pledge to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. So the angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. Man, that might be one of my favorite verses in the whole Christmas story. Mary was greatly troubled, but yet wondered. That is a an incredible tension in the life of a follower of Jesus. There are things about my life that I'm concerned about, that I'm worried about, that are unclear right now. I don't know the answer to them, but because I know God is good and he has the whole world in his hands, I can simultaneously be greatly disturbed but still full of wonder. See, that's our life. That's what it means to live a life of faith. I don't know what tomorrow holds. I know who holds it. So there's fear and there's faith, there's doubt and there's trust, there's disturbed, but there's wonder. And that was Mary. Man, what a beautiful picture of what it means to live and follow God in your life every single day. You gotta manage it. There's some times where we just admit, I don't know what's going on, I don't know what the future holds, I don't know if it's gonna work out or when it's gonna work out or how it's gonna work out, but I trust God. God's in control. God's got a plan. God loves me. Just like with Mary, she had to reach that point as well. She's scratching her head like she understands. Like I I guess the angel saw it on her face because the angel said to her, don't be afraid. Mary, you found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son and you are to call him Jesus. It's the second birth announcement. The second significant thing that Luke brings up. Elizabeth is going to have John the Baptist and now a a virgin girl named Mary is going to give birth to Jesus, the Savior of the world. I love Mary's response to this. Mary, mother of Jesus, is just told that she's going to give birth to the Son of God. And she says in verse 34, how will this be? Mary asked the angel, since I am a, a virgin. Mary's like, I'm pregnant because in Bethlehem, I know I went to public school, but I took this class 
and I think I know how it works. And the problem is, I'm a virgin. So pregnancy and virgins don't go together. How can this be? What is it? Doubt. She was skeptical. Ah, I don't, I don't know if you know how this thing works. I don't know how it works in the angel world, but I can tell you how people get pregnant here. How can this be? Like the right things haven't happened yet. The wrong timing, like everything is off with this. And even in the midst of that, Mary expresses some doubts. First thing that her mind is, to her mind comes a question. Yeah, I'm pregnant. Yeah, so we need to unpack that a little bit. We need to talk through that. There's some gaps that you're going to have to fill in. I'm not real sure if I'm tracking with you. And the angel begins to tell Mary, listen, it's all a part of God's plan. And I know it doesn't make sense to you, but God's going to make a way. And God has a plan and he's always had a plan. And he wants to involve you in it, even if you have questions, even if you have doubts, even if you have skepticism towards it. And in verse 38, obviously something clicks in Mary's mind because she said, I'm the Lord's servant. Mary answered, may your word to me be fulfilled. And then the, the angels left her. With Zechariah, we learned that doubt is not a disqualifier. But with Mary, we learned this. Number two, write this down. Faith is about trusting without knowing everything. Did you know that you can believe in something without knowing everything about it? Did you know that you can take a step in your relationship with Jesus even if you don't know what steps two through ten are? You can still take step one. Mary said, I got questions. I got doubt. This doesn't make sense. Who's going to tell my dad? Who's going to tell Joseph? How are we going to work all this out? Like none of this was in my plan. But God, if you say so, then I'll trust you. I'll take the first step if this is what the first step is. I love that about Mary, trusting even though she didn't know everything. Did you know that you can do that? That it is totally okay for you to, to trust God even when you don't understand everything that he does. Even though when you don't understand the timing or the reason or, or you're still waiting on something. Well, he hasn't answered this prayer. He hasn't done this. He hasn't opened this door. This thing didn't work out or hasn't worked out yet. Did you know you can still trust and have faith even though you don't have all the answers? Mary did. Zechariah did. And those are the people that God brought in to tell his story. By introducing us to Zechariah and Mary, Luke is essentially telling us this, God can still work and God can still move and God can still do incredible things even if you have doubts. Here's, here's Zechariah, I wanna, I wanna show you this. Uh, Zechariah doubted, there's, there's no doubt about it, he was a skeptic. Uh, Zechariah asked, how can I know what you say is true? I wanna know, I honestly, Gabriel, I don't know if I can believe you. Why? Man, he was, it's the wrong time. This is the wrong time, God. Listen, if you're a grandparent in here, you know raising kids, that's a young man's game, okay? Like when I take my daughters to my parents' house three days later, like it takes them a week to recover. Like this is like, man, this is, this is great. I love them, but this is tiring. Parenting is a young man's game. Zechariah is old. God says, you're going to have a baby. Zechariah's like, uh-uh, that ship sailed. Like, I'm not, I am not trying to get up in the middle of the night. I am not trying to figure out all of that stuff. No, sir. My wife, seasoned. She's not trying to either. We're trying to ride off in this retirement, Lord. Wrong time. 
It's way too late for my life. Here's the thing about Zechariah. He asked God for it, but God never gave it to him. I asked my whole life for this baby. We wanted to be parents our whole lives, but the answer was always no. For some reason, it was not now, not now, not now. And now? This is incredibly inconvenient, God. I'm too old. It would happen by natural events, right? His wife would get, would get pregnant. And it happened to an important religious family that lived in the city of Jerusalem. Now, let me show you Mary. Mary doubted. She was skeptical about what God was gonna do. What do you mean I'm gonna be a mom? How is that even possible? It's the wrong timing, God. For Zechariah, it was too late. For Mary, it's too early. Like I hadn't been married. Uh, I don't have a job. I don't have a house yet. Like I had plans. Like I wanted to get married and then just kind of enjoy my life and my marriage with my husband. Like I'm not trying to have a kid before all this. This is, not, this is way too early. Scholars tell us that Mary was between 11 and 13 years old when the angel visited her. Too early, God. You know something interesting about Mary? She never prayed for it, but God gave it to her anyway. Not one time did the word kid come off of Mary's lips. No, -huh. no, there's a lot of things that I want to do before we talk about being a mom. But God said, this is the plan I have for you. Mary was opposite of, of Zechariah and that she was too young. It would be supernatural events that a virgin could get pregnant. And, and this family could have been totally opposite of Zechariah and Elizabeth. These are a young, poor country family that lives in the middle of nowhere and Luke says skeptics like this and skeptics like that are who God brings together to tell the greatest story that's ever been told and a skeptic like me wants a skeptic like you to know that even you are welcomed that even God has a plan to bring you into the family and don't you think for one minute that your questions or your doubts disqualify you from being a part of what God wants to do. Because if he can use Zechariah, and he can use Mary, and he can use Luke, then he can use you. What an incredible promise. These are the types of people that God used to bring into his family. Every year, uh, we do this at Revo during the month of December, but um, I wanna put a resource in your hands. If you're here today, and you resonate with that word skeptic, uh, that you don't have a relationship with Jesus. And uh, man, there's just been some questions. There's just some things that don't line up. There's some things that don't make sense. I am so glad you're here because the Christmas story loudly proclaims that skeptics are welcomed. And I wanna put a resource in your hand. I want you to grab it on your way out the door. There are uh, gray bags right here by this door and by the doors outside. In, in, inside of the bag is just a book written by a guy named Lee Strobel. Let me, let me tell you who Lee Strobel is. This guy was an atheist uh, that, that worked as a journalist, an investigative journalist for the Chicago Tribune. Check this out. He got tired of Christians telling him that Jesus was the son of God. He didn't believe them. And so he decided that he was going to write a piece for the newspaper that would ultimately debunk Jesus. Jesus is a fraud. Jesus is a fake. He didn't live. He wasn't real. He is not the son of God. You want to know what happened? The more he researched, the more he realized, shoot, they're right. And Jesus radically changed this man's life. And in the middle of the research, he ended up giving his life to Jesus and begin to write books 
entitled The Case For. And his first book was The Case for Christ, a skeptic's guide to understanding who Jesus really is. And this is another book that he wrote called The Case for Christmas. Who was in that manger the very first Christmas? And this is written by an outsider that says, if you got questions, if you wanna know who Jesus really is, I got you. I did the work. I did the interviews. I did the research. And I came in as an atheist and Jesus radically changed my life. This is four short chapters. Man, you can read this like on your way to grandma's house on Christmas Eve, I don't know. But I believe what's in this book can change your life. And I believe you can start a relationship today and I want you to know skeptics are welcomed into the family of God. And he'll use you to accomplish something great just like he used the people in scripture. So I wanna challenge you on your way out. There's not like a GPS attached to those bags. I'm not gonna chase you out into the parking lot. Uh, Like I'm not gonna show up at your house tomorrow unless you invite me, bake some cookies and invite me, I'll be there. It's just a simple gift to you. If you're looking for who Jesus is and you don't know, this book can, can help give you some answers. We'll be praying for you that God would speak to you in a real way and come back. Man, continue the journey over these next few weeks and let's figure out who this Jesus guy is written by an outsider that turned out to become an insider because he found out that everything that Jesus said was true and he can change your life today. Would you pray with me? God, thanks for Luke. Thanks for taking a a Gentile, a non-believer, an outsider, a guy that was not raised in the church, that didn't grow up hearing all of the stories about you, Thanks for using him to help tell the greatest story that's ever been told. God, thanks for showing us people like Zechariah that were religious, devout pastors and priests that still had doubts. Thank you for showing us that you would would even choose the earthly mother of your son Jesus to not be some religious princess that had her life put together and knew all of the right answers and and had her perfect behavior and and, and always said and did the right things, but but a, a poor girl that didn't even believe it when you first told her that you were gonna let her be a part of the story. God, thanks for letting even skeptics and doubters like me play a small role in helping people know who your son Jesus is. So God, I'm gonna trust and ask that you do the same thing today that you've been doing for thousands of years, taking people that are far from you and drawing them into your story and letting them know the plans that you have for their life as well. God, I know you'll do that. I know that's your plan. Uh, So I pray that you would use this time, these next few weeks, these resources to draw people closer to you. Pray and ask those things in your son Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Revo Podcast. We believe everyone has a next step to take in their relationship with Jesus. If you would like more information on what that means for you, or if you have any questions about today's message, please email us at info at discoverrevo.com.